Being a geek is productive. A geek passionately advocates. They whimsically engage people with an aim to persuade. A geek really is the ultimate ambassador. This is the new podcast by Stone Creek Coffee. And it is what it is. In our last episode, we talked about the four brand pillars that are driving us into the future. Today, we're going to go a little bit deeper on the first one, the who. Not the band, the who, uh, but who who we are, and that's the idea that we are coffee geeks. So we're going to just talk for a few minutes today about this idea of what is a coffee geek. But before we get into coffee geekdom in particular, I thought it'd be a fun way, because I'm here with Eric again, to talk about our personal geek pasts. So if you're just picking up on the Stone Creek Coffee podcast, I'm Drew. I'm the managing director of the company and one of the co-owners. And I'm Eric, and I'm the development director and co-owner and founder. The idea of Coffee Geek really stems from um, the people in the company, and, and it started 1993 with Eric and his passion around coffee. Two weeks ago, we talked about um, Eric starting a coffee company because that's what he wanted to do. Of all the kind of companies that he could start, that's the kind of company he wanted to build. And I came to work at a coffee company because it's the kind of company I wanted to work for. So coffee's sort of in the blood, but... Um, Coffee Geekdom is the product of both the, that passion for coffee and then sort of the quirky personality that's ingrained in the people who work here. And we were talking about this earlier, and I said I was thinking of freaks and geeks when I thought about um, the stories I've heard of Eric's formative years and then uh, in contrast to, to my formative years. So, Eric, why don't you give us just a little bit of your history as a geek in general and how that leads up to you being a coffee geek? Sure. I think uh, maybe the first thing to do is to kind of define what we think a geek is here at Stone Creek, and then I'll flip back and talk a little bit about my past. But for us, a geek is somebody who is passionate, somebody who kind of goes to the nth degree uh, on their hobby. Um, when we say geek, we don't mean a geek as in a nerd exactly. We mean somebody who's deeply passionate. And, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but that's contrasted with uh, maybe a coffee snob or somebody who uses coffee or coffee knowledge to, to impress someone else. And we've always been annoyed really with that. Um, rather, we want to be geeks. We want to celebrate our passion and our our deep love of coffee. So that that's kind of how we talk about being a geek at Stone Creek. And for me, the being a geek, um, you know, started probably 1969. Um, I was one years old. <laughs> just you kidding. just came out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Came out wearing a um, But I, I grew up in a house, you know, a household that had a lot of, of geeks. Um, I had a grandfather. I have a grandfather who's a, who is a physicist and um, an engineer and and uncles who were the same and my mom was very much a hacker with how she helped raise our family and and building new tools and techniques in the in the house and and then lastly my my dad is an engineer built a company and so I grew up with a big workshop soldering irons and I was given just free reign to to build so I've been building 
um, things since I was a little kid in our workshop. And I think that's really the formative, the formative um, part of my, my geek dumb. It explains a lot too. I mean, our formative years have such a profound impact on who we are, like the family we're raised in, the things we found growing up to occupy ourselves and the things that our families pushed us toward um, dramatically influence sort of the way that our brain works. And it's fun to hear about people's childhoods for me. For me, I was a military brat, and so I grew up with three brothers, and and there's probably only seven years between all four of us, and then my parents adopted two little girls later on. So I I grew up homeschooled in a military family, so we were, I, I would say, buttoned up and in line. And as much as my parents could possibly try to contain the energy of four boys who were at home all the time, they tried to do that not in any sort of negative way but we just like beat the living daylights out of each other the the four of us um as we like invented all sorts of games um we played all kinds of video games but we were doing we have this rowdy rambunctious sort of energy and competition that we just bred in between ourselves meanwhile we've got sort of the classic homeschool comb over and um you know our clothes maybe matched maybe they didn't we're constantly trading them we're building stuff out of legos um we're reading Anne of green gables it's just this bizarre juxtaposition of of energy and literature and education because we we being homeschooled our parents deeply invested our education into us so there was a lot of math skill and knowledge that was bred in the family while we're <laughs> absolutely going crazy. So if you would have just looked at me, I would have very much seemed the picture of your quintessential geek, and I think I probably stayed that way. I probably still am that way, actually, honestly. Fast forward to moving to Wisconsin um, in 2014, and uh, you know, my, my energy and my passion sort of culminated when I watched Moneyball and thought about business, um, which I had studied in college through that lens, and then came to Stone Creek Coffee um, after a couple of years of learning coffee and, and seeing that develop as a passion in my life. I kind of view coffee through this unique lens of, of energy and economics that somehow I got here. <laughs> But that's sort of the, the story of many people who find themselves in coffee is it's a winding, crazy road that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. But you, yet here we are. Um, this is ultimately what we find ourselves loving and wanting to invest in, I think largely because it's just a different environment from your traditional business and your traditional sort of work community. So, so here we are, and I came into Stone Creek, and, and even when I walked in the door, the word Coffee Geek was getting thrown around from a marketing position and a brand point. Eric, how did you guys come to adopt this word even before I came into the organization as something that, hey, this, this might describe us and our, our corporate personality? I don't remember, actually. I, I know it was during that 2.0 period in the last six or seven years. I think that um, one of our designers had done a poster maybe uh, and used the word geek and coffee on the poster. I don't mm. even know if they were, were connected at, 
at the time, but we just started talking about, well, what does it mean to be a coffee geek? The notion of being a coffee geek helped drive um, the continued learning that we were we were really working hard on then related to our supply chain, traveling to origin, um, how we how we built the drinks, um, how we roasted the coffee. We were really rebuilding all these different components of the coffee program. And I think the idea of being a coffee geek crossed over sort of everybody at the time. And, and we were really working to find people who were coffee geeks, who could bring that passion. Maybe they didn't know a ton about coffee, but that they were into it. And as long as they had the passion, then they sort of fit in uh, with that that change in that period, but I think six six five six years ago we started really using that term, and um, we use it we use it now a lot. It was like a leading le- the leading edge of of two version of Stone Creek where there was this heavy product focus, and we with that heavy product focus and heavy focus on quality, we would specify as you did earlier that we're coffee geeks, not coffee snobs, because a danger in the quality-focused coffee game is that you can become really exclusive and um, snobby, for lack of any better term, um, in that you love your product so much, you only want to see it um, consumed in the way that you feel is most appropriate, when everybody has a different uh, perspective on what the most quote-unquote appropriate way to consume coffee is you know a deep passion for representing the coffee well due to all the work that went to bring it from farm to cup can cause somebody to be a little judgmental when it comes to the customer and how they'd like to consume their coffee whereas bringing the geek side of sharing and and learning um, to the equation helps break down that pretentious sort of attitude and deliver something to the customer that has all the energy and hard work that went into the product represented in whatever form they feel like they'd like to consume their coffee in. Yeah, and I think part of the transition from 1.0 to 2.0 was that we were not as quality driven during the first 19 years as certainly we are today. Um, We had good coffee, but we didn't have great coffee. Um, We're approaching having great coffee uh, today, but what we had a we had a very large customer base that loved us for our coffee, for who we were as people, as we talked about last time, for the care that we brought across the counter, and there was just no way that this business was going to survive if we went from one style of coffee program to this super high end um, curated. Um, if you don't brew it with the right water um, personality, that we were going to have a problem because we would have alienated everybody. Um, everybody. Change is not something. Occasionally, change can happen in kind of a step function, but most of the time, it needs to happen incrementally. In fact, we had started changing the coffee program fairly dramatically, faster than we should have, and we started losing customers. So not only were we in a slow customer count slide when we started all this work, but then we started making the changes and we started alienating the people who were there. So we refer to that time as the dip, as the moment when we were losing customers because of the changes. And we had to talk as a team and say, hang in there. The changes we're making are going to help us in the long run. And we just have to embrace this idea of being coffee geeks and sharing our passion and that we'll gain new and many more customers over time. At least that was the thinking. 
the deal with saying you're a coffee geek and, and building an identity um, is in and of itself exclusive. One of the things that I learned right away coming into the organization from a more corporate standpoint is that um, there were people who seemed like they fit in and they were going to help us um, and then seem, there were people who seemed like they didn't and there were customers who seemed like they got what we were trying to do and there were customers who said nah it's not for me and they left. So what we learned ultimately is that not everybody is a Stone Creek coffee geek. Eric, why do you think that is? When you're endeavoring to do something and you have a group of people who are setting out to do it, the destination has to be clear. Um, the path doesn't have to be clear, but the destination does. And when you set out on that journey with a group of people, there are some people who are into the journey and into the destination, and there are some who have a different view of where we should go and how we should do it. And ultimately, it's our job as leaders of the company to be clear about where we're going and then invite people to join us. If you want to join us, great. Do your thing. We'll all go together. It'll be fun. But some people just don't want to go where we're going. And so in those situations, we've had to ask people to leave the company. And typically I, I say, well, you can come to our holiday party, but you can't work here. And I, I don't know that I've actually ever said that, but it's the intention is and the thinking is, I like you. You're a unique person. Um, I've enjoyed being around you. It's just that because we disagree on the destination or how to get there, then we're, we're going to continue to do battle about that path. So maybe it's better if you go find another company to work for, a company that might better match your uniqueness. And we try not to have a judgment on whether one is better than the other as much as letting people decide, are you on our tribe or would you rather be on another tribe? That's, that's language that feels, I'm going to use the word, but it feels offensive. And I think it's worth owning that it feels offensive to say, listen, we're trying to build a company going in a certain direction and not everybody is invited. But it's an important concept because when you build something that is truly unique, you have to own the fact that uniqueness is unpopular. I mean, in that it won't fit in with everybody. Specialty coffee by nature is not a product for everybody. It's not a mass media product. It's for a certain type of consumer. We try and broaden the category of consumer that, that can find a, a home in remarkable care in their interactions with our company and our brand and our people. But the product in and of itself is somewhat exclusive. And so if you're trying to build a company within that relatively exclusive market that has a pronounced identity, the kind of people you have come work for you um, is going to be a certain stripe of people who have certain wants in terms of how they work. And, and that's why we would I would reference the importance of the core commitments, which we talked about last week. And again, we'll talk about more as we go on. But the core commitments are our way of saying this is what a Stone Creek coffee geek is. Being a coffee geek, someone who's even passionate about coffee and wants to share it, while that's important, it's not enough. A Stone Creek coffee geek is passionate about coffee, wants to share it, they're warm, they're inviting, and they work in these 13 ways. This is what it means to be a 
a Stone Creek coffee geek. Yeah, and I the only thing I'd sort of say about that is that I have said if we're not offending some people, we're not doing things that are unique enough. Like it's okay if people say I don't like your thing or I disagree. That means that at least we're being clear. People can react to it. And so when when I get pushback saying, "Well, Eric, some people are upset." I sometimes say, "Okay, that's just the way it is if we're trying to be truly unique in what we're endeavoring to um, to do. So as we move the company into the future, uh, the passion for coffee, the desire to share it, and get better at delivering quality coffee as we define it, we believe is really important. It, it's deeply ingrained in who, who we are as people, but more it's just what we want. It's what we love. But Eric, if you had to say as the founder, this is why being coffee geeks is important to me and, and why I think it's important to the business. What would you say? Um, I would, I guess I would tie back to this idea that over the years, people have said to me, Eric, how do you motivate your team? And my answer, I, I never felt like I had a good answer. And I finally realized my answer to how do I motivate my team is I don't. <laughs> Motivation is inherently an internal thing. It's an internal compass. It's an internal desire. And for me to try to motivate somebody, I think is futile. So what is the purpose of being a coffee geek or having this notion of coffee geek? The purpose is to ask people, are you a coffee geek and can you work within our 13 core commitments? And if the answer is yes, I don't have to motivate anyone. They can then go follow their passion, follow their own vision, create their future. And I just get to watch these people blossom and grow in the coffee industry. I wish somebody would have taught me that when I, my undergraduate degrees in management, and I've told multiple people, do not get a degree in management because it's a lot of, like I've un had to unlearn some of the things that you're taught, like when you're managing people, at, you know, find out what motivates them and use those things. But I would agree with you 100% is that you cannot motivate people. They either are or they aren't they'll be most motivated naturally when they find the right role for them in the place that matches the culture that's best for them. So if we're a company then that identifies as coffee geeks working according to 13 core commitments, we're just gonna press on in learning to get better at what we're doing. Um, and it starts with, with us, quite frankly. It starts with the direction team at Stone Creek and then the, the group of team leaders that meets on Monday morning to let their passion for coffee fuel what they're doing. So I want to talk about that, that fuel, that, that passion for coffee and how it manifests itself just in the uniqueness of, of, of Eric and myself for a little bit. But uh, Eric, let's talk about your coffee geekdom, which is a, a phrase I've coined. It doesn't make a ton of sense, but... <laughs> Um, wh what are some of the ways that, that your coffee geekiness is, is most evidently shown? Well, and for me, I mean, we all have our favorites within the coffee industry in terms of what we love. But for me, and we've sort of adopted this, adapted, adopted, adopted this sure. um, for our, our definition of, of the type of coffee we want to ultimately buy and brew. And, and that is uh, coffee that's sweet, clean, and juicy. You know, for me, um, I helped rebuild the supply chain over the last six years, traveling a lot, visiting farms, just cupping lots of coffee. And those coffees that are sweet, clean, and juicy 
I truly love. And they're hard to find. They're hard to source. They're hard to continually keep in our line. Um, but I've gone to um, pretty, pretty, pretty far corners of the world seeking these coffees and will continue to do so. Um, so that's sort of on the supply chain side. And then, you know, for me, that first cup at home is really a critical part of getting my day off to a good start. And I leave myself anywhere from 30 seconds to 10 minutes um, to sit down and have a coffee at home um, as the kids are waking up and as I cook breakfast and get the day started. And at home, um, I've installed uh, a couple different RO systems and put in mineral addbacks. And, you know, even at home, I'm in that constant search for uh, good water to help um, make the, co- the best coffee I can at home. Um, so that passion of, of finding and, and brewing great coffee um, is a is sort of a forever journey. And oftentimes you have to hack it. Like nobody's ever taken a $200 GERO system and added mineral addbacks. I mean, <laughs> maybe, but I had to hack it. I didn't know how to do it. You can't buy it anywhere. So it's a, it's a fun adventure calibrating coffee with other other folks so working in that i work heavily with the operational teams of the company it's always sort of this unique moment when we set a a coffee on eric's desk or when we taste coffee on monday morning and just like waiting to see what the reactions are because there's always a reaction and it's never like eh. like i don't know that i've ever gotten an eh or like sort of piece of feedback from you like it's okay it's either like no, it's no juice. It's it's paper. It's dirty. Like, what is this? Or oh, it's great. I like it. <laughs> like, oh well, okay, cool. Um, but that um, that constant desire you have to find that sweet, clean, and juicy coffee, it, it does set the tone for all the work we do on the green and roasting side, and has driven a lot of innovation and progress. I think of the work we started last fall and in how we roast coffee was because you saw a roast curve and my background is not in roasting but you saw a roast curve and you drew a picture on a sticky note and I kept it and it had one picture of a roast curve that said wrong (laughs) and one picture of a roast curve that said right after you had looked at some of the roast curves that we were executing and it started this this process of learning that eventually we'll talk about um in 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 reforming the way that we roast and learning to become the best roasters we possibly can be because otherwise you're just shooting yourself in the green coffee foot you're not going to get where you want to go what do you think is the weirdest thing you've ever done in service to make great coffee well um so pre-kids when i was with melissa my wife only we would we would go fly fishing and hike up into the high country in colorado and I would bring um, water, coffee maker, stove. So I would fish for a few hours, then I'd make coffee for half hour, then I'd fish for a few hours, then I'd make coffee for a while. So it doesn't matter really, I guess, for those of us who are in love with coffee, we'll find a way to make a good cup, whether it's on an airplane or uh, at 12,000 feet up in the high country in Colorado. So many, many odd things, but that being one. One of the worst times of my life, in terms of coffee, in terms of, I think the whole way my whole body functioned, which may be TMI, but it was a month I spent in China without coffee. And that <laughs> was a nightmare. Like it was just an absolute nightmare. It was before I started at Stone Creek. Um, but yeah, once you get, once coffee becomes a part of what you do on a daily basis, you'll go to pretty extraordinary lengths to make sure you have good coffee. 
good coffee with you and there have been a couple times I've traveled where I haven't made the arrangements I should have and I've always regretted the snot out of it. Yeah, I mean you can ruin a you can ruin a good vacation yeah. if you decide to well, I'll just see how the hotel does. Um, <laughs> and again, that's not be careful here because it's not meant to be a snob, it's just meant to to be clear about what we each love and that it's okay. I mean we as we talked about when we were beginning to change the business six or seven years ago, um, you know, we, we we had and we still have a lot of customers who will come in and order a coffee and load it up with a couple sugars or cream. And even when my dad comes, I'm watching him, you know, blow our our sugar budget every time <laughs> I see him with a cup of coffee. And he just loads it up because he loves it. And what we decided here, and, and I think if you're a customer of ours, hopefully you see this, um, is that however you love it, that's right that there is no best way to do something when it comes to how we should each enjoy our coffee and we really believe that at stone creek and thus we're coffee geeks not coffee snobs so what's next we've got 25 years of trying to figure out coffee and plenty of steps left to take eric what's on your radar yeah i guess in terms of continuing to improve the quality um our organization is built on as we talked about the four pillars um the first one being being a coffee geek so that means a continual and ever changing and a constant approach to improving quality so it's kind of like uh, maybe cleaning your house you clean one room and then you you know take a week off and you maybe clean another couple and then you go back and start over well it's kind of the same with improving quality is we we did a big push on roasting um you know three or four or five years ago um but we're doing another one we've just sort of finished one over the last six months we and what we tend to do is we say well what needs to be better and sometimes we don't know so we'll ask other coffee professionals what do you think could be better and we do that in the spirit of learning the never stop learning that we've talked about and it takes a real check of the ego to sit down and say to another coffee pro can you just tell me where we're not very good Um, and to go seek that sure Uh, and not to hide behind oh you want to try our new ethiopian blah 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 it's got blueberry and peach and blah 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 but rather where could we be better? And one area that we worked on is roasting. And so we, we brought in um, and, and have a good relationship with Scott Rao. We continue to dialogue with him about our roasting, our roast curves. We work with Cropster on testing out new components to Cropster and partner with them to get the data we need. So this, this is just on the roasting side. Um, we're also changing a little bit on the supply side, how we source, where we go, how many samples we get, when we start the process. It's a constant change there. So roasting, sourcing, and we see a, a fairly large shift in on the drink front. Of course, teas continue to be a big part of our business. And we're also seeing um, coffee being used um, sort of in the the cold brew way, but Mm. put in with other ingredients made in different ways. So we see some changes on the horizon with that part of the business as well. So it's just a march forward with an open mind and never stop learning. Going back to even four years ago, we started to invest really heavily in our barista education to the point where we're like, oh, this is awesome. We have, and I told people this, we have the most built out education program in the United States 
of the ones that I've come into contact with, more than Intelligentsia, more than Stumptown. But the problem with that is we've learned that that's just not enough to have high, high quality execution from, at this point, 140, 150 baristas, like to get really, really great cafe quality um, execution in your espresso and your, your pour overs, your manual brew methods, your latte art, um, just requires more than having 15 classes. So we've been working really hard on um, not just how we train the baristas, but how we train them to train themselves. And then what is our methodology for ensuring that the standards that we hold as a company are actually executed in, in CAFE. So we've invested um, a lot of time and effort in trying to figure that out. And we're probably like... 40% the way, 40% um, of the way where I think we can get to and where we will get to through constant iteration and just how we structure the work. So there's that, that training side. And then there's also thinking through the methodologies by which we make coffee. A big aspect of the third wave of coffee and Stone Creek 2.0 was this heavy, heavy emphasis on the barista and the artisanal nature of coffee, which is great and cool and fun. But one of the things that I know Scott Rao would be a proponent of, as well as many others who are helping to advance the quality of coffee, is that the best coffee can be made most consistently by a robot. So there's tons and tons of variables at play when it comes to making great coffee and the best way to make it great consistently is to eliminate those variables. So that's bringing us to the espresso machine and to the barista workflow and it's causing us to question what are the variables that we can actually pull out of the barista's control and that sounds a kind of bad if you're a barista but it's not meant to be. It's meant to say how can we actually make this easier and more repeatable so that our customers get the best possible experience the most often. So we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> 25 years in, we'll be going another 25 years and have another 25 years after that. I'm sure we'll, it'll never stop. And even coffee itself, we expect will change over those years. As we don't know what uh, the impact climate change is going to have on coffee and what the whole beverage scene will do over the next 25. Cold brew is changing, tea is changing, and we'll just see where we land. Thanks again for joining us. Next time, two weeks from now, we're going to do an episode going deep on never stop learning. What does that mean? Can you... Can you say that you're committed to never stop learning if you don't have a plan for learning? Talk a lot about that. It'll be good times. In the meantime, you can reach out to us. Um, check us out at stonecreekcoffee.com or email us at podcasts at stonecreekcoffee. Um, we'd love to hear your questions. I personally respond to your email um, and would love to get your suggestions on show topics. That'd be great. Um, you can also check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Stone Creek Coffee. So we'll catch you in two weeks. And while we're away, please be sure that you never stop learning.